Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B podcast, brought to you as ever by Lead Forensics. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro. This episode comes from our B2B Superpowers webinar, which we ran recently, called Super SEO Skills, How to Vanquish the Visibility Vampire. I was joined for this conversation by Ferry Cazzoni from Search Intelligence Limited to discuss his early days in the industry and how he manages to get backlinks on huge sites like Forbes. This was a really enlightening chat. Ferry has forgotten more about SEO than I could ever learn, and he's a hugely entertaining guest. So without further ado, here is Ferry Cazzoni on how to vanquish the visibility vampire. Ferry, we've got ourselves a visibility vampire to get rid of. So in the mysterious realm of digital marketing, the visibility vampire prowls, shrouding your website and content in darkness, rendering them unseen by potential customers. But fear not for our B2B Superpowers webinar is here to equip you with the super SEO skills to defeat the visibility vampire and illuminate your presence online. So, Ferry, every superhero has an origin story. From your early tech adventures to leading Search Intelligence Limited and coming to own LinkJuice, how did your early experiences forge your B2B superpower in the realm of SEO? Well, it all started as probably most SEOs um, in, in the back of um, in the back of the room or in the back of the bedroom where you open the laptop and you know try to do some magic online, try to figure out how to make money online. And um, from the beginning, I had this you know, big vision of like, making money with something um, that's not physical, not like working in like a physical space, but doing something in, in the cloud. And that's where I started from, as like in terms of like the on- online journey. Uh, before that, I was a tech tech geek as a child. I had, um, I think many people might know this story. I've had like a, a secret laboratory in the loft of our family house, just like Dexter, Dexter's lab. Maybe you know <laughs> the Dexter's lab, right? The, probably the most defining um, content in my life was Dexter, where he had these little you know, secret experiments that he was running. So I built up my own electronics lab and I used to, you know, make and build like gadgets, um, put microphones into every room, record them on cassettes, <laughs> every kind of crazy things that, you know, a 12-year-old child um, can do. I think that's where my tech obsession came from. Mm. And I just started building websites as, you know, most of SEOs and trying to figure it out. And... I didn't work in the SEO industry until like in terms of like either having a business or working at a, at a, at a company uh, until 2017 when I started really taking a lot of clients. I've had the company since 2014. I was running um, SEO audits. I was doing SEO audits. I started, I think, with like 30 pounds per audit. I used to spend, you know, three hours on a website. Um, but then, of course, you know, I became better. And then... And that's how I charge you more. But that's that's where I started from. Excellent stuff. That is an incredible story about having the secret laboratory in your in your loft. That is and, and Dexter's laboratory, that's an excellent reference point. I was a, I was a big fan of that when I was a kid. So that's I'm so nostalgic about, about that, that that lab. I wanna buy the house. I am gonna say I always said I'm gonna go, you know, if I become super wealthy, I like wealthier, and I'm just gonna go and, you know, spend some, you know, pocket money on that house for like a quarter million or whatever it costs now back in you know, in, in the in Romania. Just to have like this little, you know, nostalgia there for me so i can just go like that's where you know that's where my lab was 
<laughs> relive those early days. That's fantastic. So uh, coming up then, so what exactly are the um, are the fundamental principles of, of search engine optimization that, that businesses need to understand to improve their online visibility? What are those the very key lessons you need to get right from the get-go? I always say that SEO has got three three main pillars. Technical SEO, which means how well the website is being built from like a technical perspective. How good is the you know internal linking structure? How good are you know how good are the the pages, the UX, the UX and the how the you know experience that the user has got when they land on the page? How how well are you serving the user with the interface that you have? So, so that's kind of technical SEO. Of course, how well Google understands your page as well. That's part of the same, you know, pillar, technical SEO. Then you have content, which is, you know, it's a pillar that's got, you know, lots of um, things to incorporate. For example, um, content strategy or topical clusters. You need how how well are you building your authority online with, with the content hub that you're creating on the web. Also, how well are you serving the search intent with the content? Because not just writing the best content, but writing or having the best content that serves the user in the best way possible. Mm. So it's, you don't you don't need to have like the the best academically written content. You have to have the content that will give the user what they want in the shortest and simplest way possible. That's content, and then of course links, which I'm a big fan of, and this is where you know uh, this this is what I do almost all day. Um, like once you have all all the other pillars in place. Then you have to go away and shout about your website, create some buzz around your service, your product, and get some links to the website. And these three, like content, technical SEO, and, and links, are the fundamentals of, of SEO. And it sounds very simple, and it can be simple, but these, this is, you know, this is what every SEO should should look at, you know, when they start inspecting a website. How can we rank better? Let's start taking it piece by piece. You know how good is our content? How well do we serve the search intent? Um, how good is our link profile? How many other websites are you know talking about us on the web? And then how good is the website from a technical perspective? How well can Google crawl the website? How well can Google understand the website? Also, how well can users navigate through the website once they land there? So these three are the main pillars, I would say. So just taking the content idea that you you were speaking about there, what are the secrets to creating content that appeals to both search engines and your target audience then? What are the key considerations when you're trying to make content that meets both of those criteria? So a good content always starts, so whenever somebody starts creating a con, uh, let's say a, a money page or even an information page, I know, the best the best car insurance um, in the UK. And they are, you have to understand what the user wants. That's where content creation starts from. It starts from the page one of Google for every topic you want to cover. I know, you know, we are shifting away from like keywords because it's not keywords anymore. Google understands content like more in depth than it used to. So we don't talk about just keywords, but like how what do people want to see when they search for, you know, the best car insurance companies in the UK, for example, mm. and go from there. Look at, you know, do you do you have, let's say, an insurance business, and are you trying to rank for the the term 
the best car insurance, you will never rank because I like I, if you Google the best car insurance, it's always a list of you know almost non-biased um, reviews or like what other car insurance providers are offering. So you will never rank with just one service on top in most cases. Probably there is one or two website that ranks there, but the top of the results are you know Forbes and some other you know Go Compare mm. and so on because that's what people want to see. They want to see a comparison they want to compare they don't just want to land on one page so that's where you know content creation starts from look at what you want to why you want to rank and then look at why do people want to you know search for this keyword and what what do they want to see when they land on on a page google always dictates the search intent google tells you um what people want to see because google always serves whatever people want to see. Mm. Um, so that's where content starts from. And then, and then of course, you have to, apart from that, you have to demonstrate authority. So a, a good content is not just well-written content, but who, who writes the content? Who is the author, especially for niches like, you know, finance, like more and more niches now. Google is looking at, you know, um, who is writing the content? What authority does this person have to create this information? Um, mm. Is the person, you know, um, authoritative and experienced enough to talk about whatever's written there? Or is it just, you know, a copywriter who put together a guide based on the top 10 results, what, what they have seen? Because I think that's what like 80, 90 percent of content is like copywriters go out, they try to find information, put it together in, a, in another article. And then they just, you know, rewrite what, what's already there. Um, a good content is, is different. If you want to break the you know the pattern, um, then you you might you might want to hire. Let's say, if you write about um, car accidents, you might want to hire a solicitor who deals with car accidents, or or at least get them to approve the content mm. and get them to check the content and then make sure you put it in the article. Um, say this content has been you know checked by this you know highly authoritative. Uh, figure in this industry and that's that's already a better content than if you don't have that when users click on there they will see oh you know the this expert has reviewed and approved this content and they will most likely trust that content instead of the content that's just a plain you know written by admin on a, on a blog right yeah some sort of listicle or something it, already it holds far more weight doesn't it so <laughs> you mentioned um uh, Forbes in in part of your answer to to my previous question and something I, I definitely wanted to ask you was um, how do you unite sort of digital PR and SEO to secure backlinks from those big publications like your Forbes or your, your Bloomberg's how do you go about doing that again we give we give the writers what they want we try to anticipate what journalists are writing about and we try to give it to them before they even ask Mm. That's the that's the secret. It's it's simple. I mean, a simple concept. It's not simple. <laughs> um, it's you know it's like Haro, but with Haro, everyone knows Haro, right? So help mm. a reporter out. It's a platform. Maybe some some people watching this don't don't know what Haro is. It's a platform where you sign up, and journalists from all over the world are requesting you know expert quotes or can somebody provide an expert quote on you know how to fall asleep on a, on an airplane while traveling because i'm writing an article about travel 
right? Digital PR, well, and what, what, what you know, digital PR is doing is reverse engineering Harrow. He's saying, hmm, what, what would journalists write about in the next six weeks or four weeks? Um, and let's figure out what they are most likely to write about in this period based on world events, based on, you know, trends, based on, you know, even seasonal trends. And let's give it to them before they even ask. And then we bypass Harrow and we get straight into their inbox with something that, you know, they're more likely to cover. That's the secret, right? Give them something that they want. And so the airplane example is something that we already, you know, landed lots of links with. That's why it, it was in front of my mind. We, we just had a campaign about that. But also, you know, when when the barbecue season is, is approaching, we know journalists are going to write about how to have the perfect, you know, a burger in your garden, like on, on the barbecue, or yeah. how to make sure you, you know, you get the most flavors out of your spices during, you know, this barbecue season. And we know journalists are going to write about these topics and we get them ready and then we, we fire them out right when the season kicks in. So just give journalists what they want. And it's something that's hard for them to replicate because they can just go to, I know, to Statista and get some already, you know, curated st statistics from there and they can talk about that. But what if we combine data sets as well? So house prices versus wages from uh, the Office of, Office of National Statistics and put it together and spend two days to create a very unique, very interesting story based on the two data sets put together. Journalists cannot do that. Again, mm. that's something that they need. Um, and then if we do the work for them and then we give them a good story, then they will most likely cover it in their publication. They will credit you know, our client who, you know, commissions the research like in we are their team once they pay us we are part of the client's team and then we are we can say hey you know this company commissioned us to do this please you know link back to them if you are going to cover the story so you, it, it would hugely benefit if you you absolutely need a, a fundamental understanding of your industry to know what the upcoming trends are going to be particularly you know even if they are seasonal ones indeed um, Exactly. That's why, you know, that, that's why even though sometimes a, a PR campaign is, you know, apparently simple, but the research that it takes to even come up with a simple idea is probably sometimes even weeks, right? Mm. So sometimes it may seem like, oh, it's just an idea about, you know, uh, how to fall asleep on the airplane. Well, it probably took us one or two weeks to follow the news, to see the trends, look at, you know, analyze, you know, maybe 10 other ideas, consecutively see which one is most likely to you know to get traction so yeah it's you have to do the research yes yeah i mean and you know just just to throw my uh two pennies into it uh to fall asleep on an airplane i would have a nice whiskey and a familiar audiobook and that's it i'm done <laughs> that's um you know that's 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 something that you can you know if if you are if you have a, a website that's selling you know um things about sleep like beds or even pillows or whatever then you can say, well, you know, our team, you know, we, we, we are like sleep sleep experts because we sell, you know, a hundreds of thousands of sleep accessories. So we are like um, the people in, in in the sleep industry. And we, mm. you know, um, we conclude that this is, you know, these are some good tips for, you know, sleeping better on a plane. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So you, you did mention um, Statista and the, the Office of National Statistics in, in your answer there. Um, are there any other places for sort of, to go to for sources of data to help create that, that con- like a, a compelling piece of content? Yes, there's, um, there's data everywhere. You, you could even use Ahrefs, for example, to create stories based on Google search volume data. So an example, you know, it's a very simple example. What I think this campaign, if you do it, it will land links, like good links. Like what are the nations dreaming about in the world? What every nation dreams about the most? And then you can go away. Of course, it will take a lot of research. You will have to translate terms. Mm-hmm. You will have to identify, you know, brands, uh, brand searches, maybe, maybe, you know, some, maybe some, animal name that people are dream, dreaming about in English, maybe that name is a brand name in Germany. So there's a, lots of research that you have to put in to eliminate, you know, false positives. But then you can build a story of like, based on Google search volume, um, you know, Germans are dreaming about teeth falling out and being bitten by a snake, while Chinese are dreaming about falling or like dying or whatever, you know, People, I think they are like very common dreams in every. We've actually mm. done some research on this, so even HFs can be used to create interesting stories just purely based on Google search volume. Again, you can scrape data. We've done stories about um, another good example: the most awake city in America. So we calculate, we we scraped Yelp, um, and then we used even use their API as well in combination to extract the number of coffee shops per uh, every location every location in the US and um, vet it against the population number and then we have calculated which city has got the most coffee shops per 1000 inhabitants and then we came up with like you know this place in in uh, in the United States is the most awake city because there's this this has got like the most coffee shops so you can scrape data you can uh, use APIs to get data I think the best way to make sure you have a solid story is combining multiple data sets. So, yeah, scraping data, Ahrefs, you can even use Google Trends. If, um, you know, I've got a, a another you know, case study where I've, I've seen that searches for electric cars spiked when there's been a petrol shortage in the UK. And then that was a story that, that got us like 50 links because we, I just simply took a screenshot of the Google Trends chart pushed it to journalists who write about cars and said, our, um, you know, car expert, carguide.co.uk has discovered the searches for electric cars spiked 1,400%. And then we landed big links in like all the big, you know, even even um, Electrek and all the big com- uh, all the big web publications, which mm-hmm. by just sharing a little insight that otherwise was not, you know, right away accessible to journalists. So you can use literally anything as a data source, but there are, you know, lots of other data sources as well, like government uh, data, house prices. Um, of course, that's part of ONS, but literally anything that's got like lots of data sets, especially data sets that are regionalized or a gold mine, because that's where you can reach out to a larger pool of journalists. All right, so I would say just with ONS or with, um, with data.gov.us, um, or like the us.gov or something like this is like there's an equivalent of um, ONS in the US as well just with these two you can launch unlimited campaigns and you will land links because they have like hundreds of thousands or probably millions of data sets 
and there's unlimited stories in there I, I absolutely love what you said there, Ferry, about, you know, a good story comes from combining data sets. That's, that's already set my mind off going. And I'm definitely going to look up your story as to which, you know, which city in America is, is the most awake. Is it, <laughs> that's, that's a yeah, fantastic idea. It is, it, is, it is funny. And it even ended up being in, like, the live television. And they were joking, like, what do you mean? Like, we have, like, lots of Dunkin' Donuts just around the corner. We have, like, three. <laughs> and the news reporter on the TV was, like, joking about our study. Like, oh, my God, that's crazy. That's crazy insights. So it's quite, yeah, quite good fun uh, campaign. Could you um, – I, I want to get into something I, I knew coming into this conversation I, I wanted to ask you about. Could you help us figure out, like, the concept of black hat versus white hat SEO techniques? Yes. Oh, I love this topic because I used right. to experiment a lot with like black hat. Like, I, I, everyone. Start, I think everyone who's been in the industry for like ten years or even less, everyone has been a big, you know, um, aggressive black hat SEO. Like everyone was doing like comment spam and forum spam and GSA search engine ranker. Maybe somebody uh, remember remembers those tools. Um, and some of those, you know, some of those techniques still work today. Um, for a while until they don't, um, but but I think the the currently the most commonly used black hat technique that I know this is gonna scratch you know the chalkboard. And I say even though I'm like a, a white hat link builder, right, uh, with digital PR, the most commonly used black hat technique is 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 guest posts, where you go and pay the blogger for the placement, and there are big mm. platforms that I know big companies, even some of our digital PR clients, um, or, you know, not just them, everyone, everyone who's ranking on top are using most of like 90% of the top ranking websites are using black hat link building, which is paying the blogger to publish an article. If you exchange money for the article, it's black hat. And most of the top ranking companies are doing it. Um, it still works, but but what they do is they also combine it, so it's not anymore the main link building uh, method. So some companies do twenty percent um, guest posts, and then the rest is you know more natural, you know, creating statistics or doing digital PR. Um, so it's kind of reduced, but it's still being widely used, like widely used. Uh, so that's that's the most, you know, that's the biggest black hat. There are some other, you know, black hat methods as well. Uh, uh, bait and switch is one of my favorite one, where you build a innocent website, um, non-commercial. It almost looks like a very neutral website. You you blast it with links, and then you redirect the the domain after like six months before it gets any penalty. Um, and you blast it with like guest posts or even with digital PR and then, or, or combined. And before it gets to a penalty, you redirect the domain to like a relevant money page on the main, you know, big website. So it will 301 redirect, it will transfer most of the link power, which hopefully, you know, it's been built like it's, it's relevant. So the, the website, let's say, again, I'm going giving the example of the insurance, but it's going to apply to anything. If you have a best car, ins- best, you know, value insurance page, you can build up a, a blog or like a simple info website about vans and tips about vans you can blast it with links for like six months it will start ranking well and then you redirect the domain 
to the best value insurance money page or something like that, right? So mm. that's still, you know, Black Hat. And I know lots of people are doing it. Um, so th these two are kind of what come come to my mind as like the most aggressive Black Hat methods. But um, I know guest posts are going to be like, oh, well, it's Grey Hat. It's not Black Hat. Like, no, if you pay money for it, it's, it's Black Hat. If you pay money for the blog, it's Black Hat. And we, and we all do it. I'm, I've got websites and I'm I'm also buying, you know, guest posts for, for them. And it works. I'm not saying like, oh, you shouldn't do this. Like, you shouldn't do that. You should only do digital PR. No, absolutely not. You should probably combine everything that works today, right? It might not work in three, five, you know, three, four, five years. But if it works today, why would you stay out of the game? Mm. So is that, would you say in, in your experience then having watched, you know, SEO evolving as it does, a, you know, like anything in the tech industry, it doesn't take long for something to be out of date then. Would you say <clears> that, um, what, so I'll, I'll rephrase this slightly. What are the, the biggest changes you've seen as SEO has evolved then? So practices that you would do at one point in time are, are no longer used. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, lots of things don't, don't work anymore as well as they used to. So as I was mentioning about the um, EEAT, like um, Google is now looking at more and more niches and they want to see people who have authority. Um, and like they are looking at websites that have more authority. That's why, as you've seen, lots of big publishers are now coming up with, you know, very long-term, like long-tail keywords they start ranking because Google starts um, denominating these, you know, small, insignificant websites that used to have, you know, 100 links. They were like set up on like a blank template with some text on it and they used to make like millions, you know, organic traffic. Those small websites that have no authority are, you know, fading out and disappearing. I've seen this trend. Mm. It's a real trend. All of these, you know, automated, you know, websites, they're kind of fading out slowly. So Google is looking at more um, authoritativeness, more, um, you know, like EEAT, right? Experience, um, ex experience. Um, uh, 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 so expertise, experience, um, authoritativeness and trust, right? So they're looking at mm -hmm. who is this person who writes this blog? How can we try? Why do? Why should we trust them? And that's when you know that's that's what's happening. And and I also have I have like forty websites, um, and I've had websites that used to rank, you know, used to bring in like three, four thousand users a day, and now they are like at five hundred users. But the websites that have links and authority, they are still, you know, they still have three, four, five thousand users per day. Hmm. EEAT is the new big thing, like like that's, um, and it's going to be even more important now with the onset of SGE, like um, with, with Google's new interface. So I think authority and um, expertise is going to be regarded as, you know, a big, big asset for any website and for any brand. And uh, one thing that I'm, I'm trying to ask as many people as possible about, um, about the, this, this next topic, um, Ferry, I'm going to ask you this one question, then uh, we'll start wrapping up our conversation. So this is my, my final sort of official question, if you like. What are the, what's the implications of um, of using AI within SEO? I'm trying to ask as many people about AI as possible yep. because it, it just fascinates me. So <clears throat> how, how does AI affect your industry? AI is the hottest topic on earth now, and AI content especially. 
uh, everyone is like, should I write, you know, um, content just with writers or should we use, you know, AI and then um, edit it a little bit? I would say it doesn't really matter because as long as you serve the search, search intent, and this comes from Google, um, as long as you serve the search intent, you you will have no trouble with Google. So is your is your AI content better? Serving it like helping the users better than the competitors, you know, human written content. If it is, then you should you know you should definitely use it. Um, I think I think most of the content in the next you know three years, two three years is going to be probably sixty percent AI written, and the rest of the forty percent you know like of, of the of the content of the actual um, content will be you know edited by. By, by humans. I think that's that's what's gonna happen. Like what we can see now, ChatGPT4 is just just the beginning. This is, you know, mm. this is a baby. In two or three years, it's gonna be way more advanced. Way more advanced. I'm not gonna say it's gonna, you know, be superior to a, a, a clever, intelligent human being's content who is really good at writing, but it will aid that person. It will amplify that person's capabilities exponentially. That's what's going to happen. And I think it will rank. Like AI content will rank. It already ranks. We have cases where, you know, it outranks human writers. So I think we should embrace AI and we should um, use it as, as a tool and as a helper for us. Yeah, for us, you know, marketers and content creators. It absolutely ties into your previous point of, you know, if there is a tactic that's working, why wouldn't you use it? You know, I suppose the, the other question is, well, what's the alternative? If you're not going to adopt it, you're you're going to fall behind, right? Well, well, you're going to fall behind. You will spend, you know, probably eight times more on a, a high-quality article than you would what you would spend otherwise, right? Or maybe not eight times more, maybe three times more, you know, resources and time and money. But it's still, you know, it's still not worth, you know, ignoring AI. Mm. A hundred percent. So, uh, Ferry, I, like I mentioned, I am going to start bringing our conversation to a close. You've offered some incredible value. I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you. What is the one key piece of advice you've offered up to us today that you would like everybody watching this webinar to go away with? The one advice is you need to invest money into into. So it's it's becoming more and more expensive to to have more visibility. So you have to, everyone has to understand you will need money to be more visible. It is, it is the, the reality and probably the biggest um, factor in, you know, even rankings and everything is like money because you need budget. So just, just pay attention to, you know, to this, you know, financial, um, component of the visible like you need money to be visible and it's that's the reality today well that's absolutely fantastic very thank you so much for sharing your b2b superpowers with us today do remember to keep an eye on leave forensic socials for news of our upcoming b2b superpower webinars and we will see you again very very soon ferry once again thank you so much for joining me it was a pleasure Well, there we go. That was Ferry Kazoni on how to vanquish the visibility vampire. Remember to subscribe to Essential B2B Podcast wherever you get your pods. And please give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another episode of Essential B2B.